0: Hi everyone, Josh and Ryan here. Welcome back to the Supercent Podcast,
1: the personal development podcast hosted by the youngsters for once. Research shows if you put 100 random people in a room, somewhere amongst them, there'll be just two truly incredible, inspirational people who are living their lives to the fullest. In this podcast, we bring those exact people to you week in and week out. Join us on our journey as we learn the secrets, routines and dreams of
0: the Two Percenters.
1: Today, we are joined by Stuart Graham. On the surface, Stuart is just a 20-year-old student, but in reality, he's so much more. Stuart is managing partner and founder of Mashed Potato Bespoke, a bespoke clothing company based in Northern Ireland, turning over 24k last year. Stuart has also worked for Deloitte, one of the world's largest consultancy firms, Spent time volunteering at the prestigious Ryder Cup and has backpacked around Asia. Coming up,
0: we hear Stuart's story from starting his business at just 16 to now and everything in between. Listen out especially for the word association game, which provokes some fascinating conversation. Then we answer some questions from you, the listeners, and the people of the internet. So without further ado, let's dive straight into it.
1: Hi, Stuart. Thanks for joining us today. Two percent podcast, first ever episode. You excited Spear? Yeah, no, very excited. Um yeah, thanks for having me. No worries. Right, so let's get straight into it. Uh, for the sort of guests listening, just sort of explain um, a bit about your background and sort of maybe your key achievements from the start of your life to where we are now. Okay, um so grew
2: up in Belfast, um, twenty years old now, uh, identical twin. Um just one sibling, so identical twin. Um, went to uh, school at Grosvenor. Uh, well, secondary school at Grosvenor in East Belfast. Loved my time there. Oh, I've always been involved in sport, uh, both at school and outside of school. Um, football being the big one. Big achievements would be at school I was head boy, uh, which was like a huge achievement because I think looking across my school year, like a lot of people probably didn't expect me to get it. Probably academically, I wasn't. I was good, but not like right up the top. So um, that was a big achievement Uh, and kind of the combination of seven years of kind of hard graft at the school. Um, And then also at school was the captain of the first 11 football team. And like in the year that uh, I was captain, we um, won like the Northern Ireland Schools Cup. So it's probably what I would rank as my best achievement just because it was like the equivalent of our World Cup um you know and just looking back at the pictures and videos as I was over two years ago now but still my film background. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um other achievements, um Gold Duke of Edinburgh was a big one, uh did a kind of bronze, silver and gold. Um, so that kind of took up a fair bit of my time. Um kind of within a you know more like career business centred um, lens uh, I would say Uh, working at the Ryder Cup was a big one. So, kind of when I was growing up, 14, 15, um, worked at different golf tournaments, got some experience, and then when I was 16, and that was the minimum age, you had to be to apply, put my application in for the Ryder Cup and got um, got, like a voluntary position there. Oh, that's awesome. But it was was pretty much one in 10 got, so there's like 17,000 applicants for 1,700 places. Oh, wow. So that was a big kind of thing. Um, And then going back to the Ryder Cup this year but at this time I was a media centre assistant, so that's kind of a a progression in that, yeah, moving up. Um, And then, age 16-ish was when I started my first business. Um, And because it was started at 16, I didn't really have any part-time jobs beforehand, so this was like my first job, so to speak. Um, and The fact that we're still in business four years later... is is probably another one of my huge achievements, like what I would class as my big achievements as well.
1: So this is Mashed Potato Bespoke, yeah?
2: Yeah, so my well the current business is Mashed Potato Bespoke. The first one I found it was called, well, yeah, started was Mashed Potato Golf. Um, Mm. And it was clothing as well, it was golf themed, um, casual wear t-shirts. So quite a niche market, which is ultimately, I would say, you know, too niche given we didn't have a lot of funds to market it and reach the right yeah. people, but that business has progressed into what we ha- what I still run now, Mashed Potato Bespoke, so although I would say my first business field it was you know, extremely helpful in getting to where I am
1: now. So, so you would class that first business as a failure rather than, because I thought you sort of said that it, it's still the same business, it sort of just naturally progressed onto a different product? Uh, yeah there's there's certainly interlinked like we're still within clothing
2: so the first business was still centred around clothing production but it was very much a retail business so selling online, selling stalls and us having to purchase stock up front and then holding stock and then having to kind of advertise in order to get that sold whereas this business now is all made to order clothing so it, the advertisement's kind of done before um, you're actually purchasing any stock so we're not kind of we're not purchasing stock and paying upfront for, um, you know, unpredictable revenue. Yeah. We we're only outlaying money when we know we're definitely getting money, and when there's an order in and off, then we take payment before production even begins. So it's still within clothing, but it's a very different business model, um, and a very different sector as well. The reason I would say it was a failure is just because it got to the stage where, the existing stock just wasn't selling, and we just had we just gave it to, um, just like a charity in the end. Um, and like, it's you know completely liquidated. Like websites gone, the um, kind of any. There's no lasting impression of that first business anywhere. Really, it's all been, you know, just dust under morphed into yeah, what currently. Well, morphed into what currently is yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think probably around the time it was difficult to class that as a failure, but now I'm comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Calling it a failure because. Yeah. It was, like the money we pumped in, we didn't recoup. And if you're just looking at it from, you know, if, if business, I was viewing that yeah. as someone else's business, I would say you didn't, you didn't cover your
1: costs. Yeah. Uh, how did you uh, identify that point where you thought, we need to move on now, guys, and sort of accept the fact that it wasn't going how you imagined? It, that was, it, it was quite difficult. Um, just from a perspective
2: of, you know, when you start a business, Especially at that age, um, you want to put off considering closing it as long as possible. But I think the it was, there was quite a nice bit of overlap, and I don't I would say that overlap was quite unique where we could still we still had the the golf t-shirts in stock, but we were selling make like bespoke orders so it wasn't like we had to completely close the golf t-shirt business before opening the next one there was kind of that nice overlap where we were still doing both Um, and then it got to the stage where the bespoke clothing that we were selling was bringing in more revenue and more traction than the other one so it it just got to the stage where time went on and I wasn't spending time on on the golf t-shirt business anymore Um, and if anything, probably just lost a bit of belief in the product and when I got to that stage there was no point holding on to it anymore and um, and, you know, over time I've just accepted that as a very, like, worthwhile learning experience and um, and, yeah I think, this, if anything it and I don't know where my career's going to go after this, but I don't know, it's just Adds a bit to the story that the first one didn't work. Yeah. You know, it makes it more relatable as well. For sure, yeah. Because if the first one had blown up, then.
0: Yeah, you'd be off. Yeah, wouldn't be here it wouldn't right? be. Yeah. yeah, so. So to take that back then, 16 year old Stuart wanting to start a business.
2: Why clothes and why golf in that very first instance? Mm, that's, it's an interesting way I came to that because it wasn't like. Uh, the first idea was I want to go into clothes I want to go into the golf sector it was I want to run a business and like see if I can do it so it was almost come to the reala- realisation I want to do that and then pick which business I'm going to fit in so okay. so the idea of that business it just came from like I was around golf like playing golf watching tournaments etc and there was something we literally had discussed in the car home from a golf tournament that we're like you know, there's just not many... If you just look at what people wear at golf tournaments, etc. It was all kind of just like polo shirts, very smart clothing. Um, and there was no real clothes that like identified someone as a golfer off the golf course. Whereas like a football top, when you go to the pub, you'll see people like football because they're wearing a football top. Whereas it's hard to identify if someone likes golf. And um, I don't know, part of me was thinking people kind of like that you know, being identified as part of a group. I'm a golfer. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that that seemed like, you know, a business that was was viable on a fairly small scale. Um, you know, given I was still at school, given that the capital that we could invest was fairly limited, um, there wasn't a huge range of businesses we could decide to start. You know, it was going to have to be something that could be around within those boundaries so yeah I think when it started it, it it was just a trial run and there was no expectations or projections
1: or plan so just just to bring you back to that so you said you just felt you wanted to, bring, to have a business mm-hmm. and just give it a try I think a lot of people especially like myself included and people at 16 to you know 20 at that young age they have that feeling they want to have a business but a lot of them just don't know where to get, which route to go, so Mm -hmm. how would you you identify golf as sort of the the area, but how, someone more generically, how would they pick that specific, and and sort of take action on it, because I think a lot of people sort of think about having a business, and sort of dream about it, Mm -hmm. rather than just going, you know what, I'm picking this, I'm Mm -hmm. going for it. Yeah, uh,
2: I think, and I'm kind of lucky, I would count myself as lucky for it, but the way, the best way I would say the ideal way to start a business is to find the sweet spot between what you're good at and what you like. You know, if those two things cross, you're you're in. A win, that's a winning start, and um, and kind of layered on top of that is can can you earn money from it? So you know, a lot of the time, if you're good at something and you like it, that's usually can most of the time is a hobby. But in my case. You know, I liked a the, the the golf it was golf clothing but the skill involved was graphic design. And I liked that and was fairly good at it. and um, which is where I kind of found that initial crossover. Uh, I think as well it's something that you're gonna be spending a lot of time on. So yes, it has sure. to be something you like. Um you know, now the business has moved away from golf and it, it is just You know bespoke clothing, but I enjoy the graphic design. You know I enjoy seeing people wear the clothes, so there still is that sense of enjoyment, and it's it's a sector that I'm interested in. So, yeah, the for there to be any sustained effort placed into it, there needs to be interest and a bit of passion there somewhere. like what you're doing, right? Exactly, and it's you're not gonna feel like supercharged on. Your interest and your love for the business of the product all the time, but it has to crop up enough yeah, to keep sure. to keep going.
0: How does that passion and that enjoyment for what you're doing as a business? How does that weave into, especially at the the start, at a younger age, with the financial side? You know, mm-hmm. as, as you said, um, from the golf perspective, in the beginning, it, it was about it was about the golf clothing, but mm-hmm. moving on to now, you know, three four years later. It's a more, more established business you know, how important has that bottom line been on your journey so far?
2: Yeah, very important in one line I think um, yeah, I've been fortunate that in the business from day one I've had my dad involved and he's taken on a lot of the role, like he's taken on the role of finance partner and has kept an eye on that throughout um, I think probably one of our biggest advantages is that we didn't have a lot of money so you couldn't go a week of enjoying yourself doing lots of nice designs talking to people about it doing advertising doing the fun bits without thinking about the money or graft and sell yeah, yeah. so if, if, say if you did have a big pot of money you could easily go three or four months enjoying yourself saying you run a business yeah. and then you actually when you look up there's no money left so the fact that from the start we had quite a tight budget meant that every day every kind of hour worked had to be linked up in some way to the bottom line. So I think that natural restriction at the start of having not very much money put us in good habits, which then now it's just normal. Like, we do have, there is more money in the business now, but because we've had those habits from day one of financial prudence um, alongside that passion and that, you know, the excitement of it, yeah, it's just like a... It's pulling from different directions. Yeah, sure. And you can't you can't pull too hard from the financial perspective either because then there'll be no new ideas. There'll be no risks. It's just about pulling from this business needs money, but I want to have fun and do something to enjoy. Find that balance. Find the balance.
1: It's just so, so that's interesting. What you said about um, you? You said your your dad took the role straight away as finance partner, and I think maybe some people listening to that more sceptical sort of would have alarm bells ringing and saying oh is he just you know he's had sort of it been handed to him mm-hmm. got some money pumped into it but mm-hmm. you, what you're saying there is that that wasn't the case and finances were were tight mm-hmm. so you have it's not been you have had to graft craft for the, mm-hmm. what you've built now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I think naturally when I
2: say I own a business People suspect, or that I say oh, I'm involved in a family business. They also, in fact, ultimately think it's my mum and my dad's business. Yeah, and yeah. I'll say it, and they'll be happy to say it. It's not theirs; it's it's mine, which they help out in. Um, just kind of for openness. The the initial investment in the business was seventeen hundred and fifty pound. Um, and there was there must have been three hundred and fifty from my mum. Um. And I think it was seven hundred from each of me, myself, and my dad. So obviously, at sixteen, you're like, where does a sixteen year old get seven hundred pounds from? This was just like because I was I was quite good with my money then, and it was just like building up of savings of like birthdays and you know Christmas and stuff. So yeah, it was just it was literally you know just savings I had had. you know, that maybe could have been kept for longer and bought a car or something but instead it went into this business and um, so yeah uh, you know I think it's perfectly fine if your parents or your family have can pump 10,000 points into it I wouldn't say you know don't do it but I certainly think the limitations that we've had has borne out a lot of creative, Resourceful, intuitive ideas that maybe sure. wouldn't have came if there was wasn't
1: those restrictions. They're the key skills in entrepreneurship. At the end of the day, isn't that resourcefulness and stuff? So maybe that wouldn't have came if you got it all handed to you on a plate. Forcing
0: mm-hmm. you to act within boundaries that are given to, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What did that pitch sound like then to your parents for the <laughs> uh, investment? How did yeah, you get that know, okay. convinced?
2: Yeah. So, before I kind of went well, yeah. Just to give a bit of context on, you know, before there was that how I took that idea of like I want to start a business to actually having one. The kind of the day that it went from a general interest to a almost like an an itch that I needed to scratch was um a guy called Darren Nixon, who i still would like see quite regularly and I've done a lot of work with since. Now at the time he didn't know me, I was just another pupil in the school, but he essentially came in like he's an educational consultant and he came in and did a talk to us on like labour market trends um, so yeah it would have been 16 just came in school you know you get the half the afternoon off and we get this guest speaker in and um, two things he said which I'll always remember one was he said that Northern Ireland which is where I'm from has the lowest rate of entrepreneurship in Europe right. Right. and the other thing he said was if you're ever in like a job interview or a meeting it's always good to follow up that evening with an email, just saying thanks for your time, look forward to hearing back from you and you know highlighting some things that you like that they said. So the fact that he said, Northern Ireland has the lowest rate of entrepreneurship, and he said, follow-up emails are a good idea. I sent him a follow-up email <laughs> that night and said, like I really want to start a business. Can you help me? He said, yeah, sure, even though I'd never met him. That's great. Yeah. So... As well as, you know, me pitching to my parents. It was also once I made him aware, and he was happy to take on, like, come on as a mentor, so to speak. Which was, um, yeah, like it's just something that I'm forever grateful for. Cause he, look, looking back, um, he was in the the middle of building his own business himself. He, you know, didn't need to help me out, and he didn't know who I was at that stage. But having kind of that mentor, alongside saying, you know, yes, I want to start this business, but Darren's willing to help, kind of help, you know, convince my parents a bit easier. And um, I think as well with convincing them, it wasn't like I'd never been interested in business, and then one day showing up, I was like, I want to start a business and need your money. Like from like 12, thirteen like we would like me and my brother and friends would have like washed cars. We actually had probably like a micro business before that was. Within golf as well, we used to sell second hand golf balls. So like we would have played around on a I think it was a Tuesday and a Friday morning, had our lunch and then went out and collected golf balls for three hours at my club. Three hundred golf balls, scrubbed them up, packaged them up into like bags of different types and grades and stuff, and sold them on Gumtree. And like for like 14, 15, we made a good lot of money on that. Wait, so you took them from the golf course? Yeah. So, Was you allowed to do that? Yeah, like, they were just lost balls that people had, like, we were climbing in hedges and... That's genius. Places like no one had be. Yeah, been. it's good. Glad to. Um, Fantastic. So, yeah, we were members of the club <laughs> and, like, other kids did it as well. I just think we did it at a level that we could give ourselves golf balls and then settle them on Gumtree as well. And I think... A lot of my early business skills did come from, like, Gumtree and, like, car boot sales as well. We used to do a lot of car boot sales. Growing up, like, from, like, four or five, my dad would take me and my brother to a car boot sale once a year and sold all the toys and the clothes that we didn't need anymore. Yeah. So, I think that the reason why I didn't have a lot of pushback from my parents was because they knew that that was the line I was going down anyway. You know, it wasn't that, like, I'd done singing and drama all mm-hmm. throughout school and then, in the fact, they said, oh, I want to turn up a bit. You know, I start a business, give me their money. And... Um, so, yeah, I think that helped, you know, that kind of... Either looking back on it now, it was a logical next step. Yeah, so yeah. sounds like they weren't surprised at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I think we'll sort of round off that section now on uh, your own business and entrepreneurship. I mean, we'll probably come back to it in the questions later on at the end. Um, but I think... Personally, for me, if you ever write your own autobiography, put that uh, Goldport anecdote in there. <laughs> I love that. That's, like the pu- that's entrepreneurship, but it's fine, isn't it? It's is, it? just like it's grass, literally grassroots level tall. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, but now, yeah, so we're going to move on to a little section now, which we haven't named yet, you know, pilot episode. Yeah, but the word association. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. So <laughs> the concept is of uh, the word association game is we're going to give you ten words, mm-hmm. and in a few seconds, as quick as you can, just give us a word back, which you think of, when we give you that word. Okay? okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Do you want me to uh, ask and you write down, or do you want to do to them? Uh, yeah, no. so if you, if you, if you uh, read them out,
0: I'll write yeah. down any ones that I find interesting. Right. And the responses.
1: Are you ready, Stuart? Yeah, I'm <laughs> ready. Bring it on. University. Dealers. Conflict. Chalmness. Happiness. Friends. Fulfillment. Graft. Anger. Useless. Politics. Pointless. Hierarchy.
2: Unnecessary.
1: Entrepreneur.
2: Haters. Um. Hard to respond with one word. Um, should we come back to that? Yeah, let's come, a back a, that yeah, come back to that. Yeah,
1: come back. There's one word left. To be fair, avocado. Guacamole. Quality. <laughs> well, right, do you want to go back to haters or should we leave it there?
0: Um, why did you say it's difficult to respond in one word? Yeah, it's a good
2: starting question. Just because I think haters is a word used in different contexts, different meanings. Um, what does it mean to you? I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do a blank statement on that phrase. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, similar to what I said a few times, like pointless or useless, I think just not very worthwhile, you know, putting down other people. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a, a theme across,
0: <laughs> across what you said, you know, with the conflict, with anger, hierarchy, and you know, your responses was calm. Calmness, u- useless for anger, hierarchy is unnecessary. You know, v- very um, <laughs> a very positive, very optimistic outlook. Would you, feel, would you
2: say that sums you up? Um, I think so, yeah. I think just from experience and, um, you know, I'm saying from experience and I'm only 20, but, like, I don't know, just another kind of story to throw in there is, like, from... Kind of what I said about the Duke of Ed, like at 14, 15, I volunteered in charity shops uh, as part of that. So you're in a business. So I think when I say from experience at 20, most people say, what's he talking about? And I know that that's completely honest answer, or like normal reaction. But from like twelve, 13, 14, I've been engaged in business all the way and seen a lot of situations of how not to do it. And like, I've just seen people react with anger enough times. And see the situation only get worse, but yeah. you kind of realise that, you know, as I, I think I said conflict and then I came back with calmness because, and it, it happens in my business as well, like it's run mainly between my family, but it doesn't mean it doesn't get heated at times. But I would say that, you know, I don't like to leave things linger, you know, I don't like leaving a room on, with someone on bad terms. Because it only eats up my energy and thoughts, and only eats up their energy and thoughts as well. Uh, I think the reason why I say like a lot of pointless, unnecessary is because I've got to the stage now where, and I think a lot of people should be at the stage where they don't have time for that kind of thing. You know, every like five minutes of bickering about politics or hierarchy in a business is five minutes that your customers aren't getting.
1: It's interesting you say people don't have time for that sort of thing because I think maybe not in the world of business and personal development but culturally I think maybe we're more attracted to conflict than ever like especially with the um, sort of television and what's the reality TV shows and stuff mm. that's what draws people in that's yeah. what they love the Tawies, yeah. the Big Brothers mm. they just love people having. maybe it's because they're not involved mm-hmm. but I think some people do like getting involved mm-hmm. and getting at the conflict as well yeah
0: I think there's another point on that in terms of looking at anger especially you know it's useless and I think Certainly, from a conflict standpoint, but I think more than ever, you know, we're in Mental Health Awareness Week at the mm-hmm. moment. I think acknowledging anger, using it in the right way, uh, using uh, kind of negative or built-up emotions mm-hmm. um, in a positive way, rather than being, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lashing out like you say that that sort of anger causes mm-hmm. no problems. But um, I'd be interested to know what you see, what you see day to day, what you feel about uh, that other side of mm-hmm. of those types of emotions. Yeah, I think.
2: Like the the vehicle that I I think anger deployed in the vehicle of business is quite pointless. You know that's probably where that answer came from. But I think for me, I think I've been able to like remain calm in a business context because you know any negative energy I, I release would release through sport. Yeah. You know I would offer, There's a huge duck contrast between me you know, like having a few drinks at the pub or like in a business meeting or whatever and on the football pitch. So I think the reason I've been able to kind of have a fairly level-headed personality is because, you know, I get my, the kind of the fix of that intensity and that rivalry and that anger through sport, which means it doesn't need to be expressed in family and
1: relationships with family and friends. That's probably the greatest way, isn't it, to channel it positively, if yeah. any? Yeah, definitely. Um, Going to your uni response, probably the most classic entrepreneurial response is you get dated, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of, you know, the big entrepreneur, Gary Vaynerchuk and Stephen Bartlett, they all sort of (laughs) speak about uni being dated experience. So with that in mind, uh, why do you think that and why did you come? Like, this is where we've met you at Mm -hmm. at university, so explain that.
2: Yeah, so... But yeah, the reason I think it's dated is because... This year, countless times, I've seen lecture slides that have a date of, like, 2012 on it, or 2018, you know, and if anything, I would want my lecture slides to be written that year and updated the week before, especially within a business context, Um, yeah, I'm just not a fan of business theory, um, which is a bit awkward, considering I'm doing a business degree, but... um, yeah, I think, oh, I'm, I'm cynical on this, um, and I like, I do, like, you know, enjoy it. Well, you know, I think there's a, there is. I don't want to, not putting academics down in any way, but I think they're very. A lot of the time, academics can be in a bubble, Um or if they aren't in a bubble, their their teaching reflects that they're in a bubble. I think maybe they're not, but. I wanted to see that come across in the lecture slides. I would like to hear my lecturer say. Last week, I met with the the chief financial officer of Deutsche Bank, and he said this. You know, like well, who are who are they talking to? Where are they getting their ideas from? Yeah. So I think a lot of academics are far too removed from industry, um, and that's why I just I just think it's I think it's dated. Like, you know, if if I was doing a business course. I was setting it up. Module one would be on Snapchat. Module two would be on Instagram. Module three would be on AI. Module four would be on VR and blah 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 like Bitcoin, blockchain. Like I haven't heard blockchain in my degree this year. No, I think it's it's an important point. I think um, my
0: impression coming into university, be it naive or be it um, just a. A mismatch of expectations from from what I was expecting and from the delivery is exactly what you've hit the nail on the head. My expectation was, um, you know, teaching would be at the forefront of innovation, at the forefront of, um, you know, business in in terms of where business in terms of industry is mm-hmm. at. Um, but there is definitely a divide between the forefront of industry, mm-hmm. especially from a technological standpoint, and what we get taught. Um, I mean, one. One big part from from my degree, a study in management science, um, is the case studies. So, so many, so many modules I've had this year and last um, have been videos or, as you said, lecture slides um, from two thousand and four, two 2005, 2010, and it's not practical. Um, and I think something else. You know, congratulations to the university marketing department <laughs> because I think industry led. Research-led teaching. It it's a it's a bit of a bit of a grey area. Um, I think if you look at the ratio of the number of lecturers who have been in industry, they've not been in industry recently, mm-hmm. so their industry knowledge is then outdated by default. Um, and I think going into the workplace, you know, going onto placement next year, I think a lot of people will find a shock because. Mm. Um, some of the theory we have been learning is either outdated itself or just not practical towards a, a 21st century workplace. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, I think we should probably round up that uh, game of the word association. Yeah, but that's very good. I enjoyed that a lot, actually. I think you come back to us in a year and we'll have a little jingle for that <laughs> yeah, section. Yeah, it's a good game. A little tune or something. <laughs> but yeah, next, I don't know, however long, 15, 20 minutes, we'll try and focus a bit on the other areas of your life, a bit mm-hmm. more personal and away from the business and stuff, because we've done yeah. quite a lot about that so far. So do you want to kick us off, Ryan, with whether it's travelling or Deloitte or whatever?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm going to kind of morph two questions into one here. I think one, um, firstly, is something to pick up sort of what you said earlier in terms of um, running a business with your family and how that linked into conflict, mm-hmm. um, but specifically the dynamic of when you approach people and you say, oh, I run a business,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they might say, oh, you run a family business, that kind of perhaps snobbery, however you want to phrase it, mm-hmm. um, kind of probing a bit more on that. Um, but also just to get into your motivations a bit more about kind of what what drives you, what drives you to to run a business alongside a, a busy schedule, busy degree schedule. What's that What's that personal driver that is propelling you forward day to day? Why do you get out of bed in the morning?
2: Mm, that's, I... <laughs> Motivation's hard to kind of lay your finger on in one. I think it's a very layered thing and comes from a lot of places. Um, I think, you know, stripping it back, I've seen my parents and my family work extremely hard. Um, so first up, that that gives you the, the view that it's normal. Uh, and and expected somewhat, um, and you know with specifically with regards to business, you know it's the classic kind of story of you watch Dragons Den, you watch The Apprentice. Like I watched that flat out from really young, and it it's just what I chose to watch on TV other over other things. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. I can't think of any like stand out. Role models in business that were there when I was 14 or 15. Um, but I think I just oh, I naturally kind of got quite a lot of energy and ideas and just needed somewhere to channel that. Um, and I think just very quickly fell in love with a lot of other subjects at school. So, you know, when I was. Thirteen or fourteen, and we're taking on GCSEs. You know, I, yes, I tried it hard across the board, but the ones that I actually wanted to go to were business, economics, I T. That's just where I fell and like because I've realised that I like those early on, they give me a good head start. Um, and yet I don't know. I think motivation-wise, it's just a case of. You know, you're only going to be 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 once. And I think the motivation was just to be able to pick and choose when I can work and do it on my terms. You know, yes, I've forgiven a lot of time um, through setting up the business, but the flexibility it's given me to enjoy sport, to enjoy social events, etc., has been great. Like, rarely I'll miss something because I'm working because yeah. it's me who dictates when I work. That freedom. So that freedom is probably what motivates me the most. That's why I'm, you know, I've pushed through the tough, the tough stages because, you know, the freedom and the satisfaction you can get from, you know, running your own business is, is something that within kind of a career sphere, I think it's fairly unmatched. From my opinion, anyway, just the way I'm wired, that's what
1: I fancy doing. So you spoke about it gives you the freedom and stuff, you also went, you had a placement with Deloitte as well, so how did that opportunity come about and how did you uh, manage that alongside the business? Yeah, um, I think while
2: I was at Deloitte, you know, the business was very much in the background and at that stage it still could be in the background, now it can't really be in the background as much just, you know, given the volume of of orders etc, but how that came about was, I don't know, I think I absolutely loved my time at school. But, it, you know, by, this, by the time I was making this decision, about 17, I just fell out of love with traditional education and workbook exercises and essays. And was like, right, I can't go straight to uni, I, need to do, I want to do a gap year. So, just it was one day, I think I'd, in careers class, I'd finished maybe um, a personal statement or something so I had some time uh, by myself maybe only like 10 or 15 minutes like oh yeah just do whatever research you want and I think it was the search I put in was gap year placements for business management students enter scroll down a couple and then find this website which had maybe 12 or 15 listed on them and probably by the time I finished that I just decided and I think this is pr- you probably if we talk more you'll see this is a common trend I make decisions very quickly by the time I got to like the fourth description on that website I decided I'm taking a placement year I'm taking a year out, I'm not going to uni so that decision, I went home I want to take a placement year, mum and dad um, and then yeah, kind of narrowed down the list I think it was like Accenture Deloitte and Alpha Sites uh, were three companies that I kind of narrowed down the list to of you know, placements that look good and um, just applied for the Deloitte one and then just just that just went for that one, didn't apply for the others. Um I don't know exactly why I didn't. Can't remember exactly why. I just probably did the first application form and was like, flip I'm not doing that again anytime soon just because <laughs> application forms are so boring. But um yeah, it was a long, long process. Like it was six months. I think I applied in November and heard about it in in the next April. Um and it was application form, critical thinking test, numerical reasoning test and then then I had to start going to London so I had to take the day off school fly from Belfast to London Do one was a group assessment one was just like a first round interview then one was a partner interview Um, and then um, after the partner interview I had to do like written questions so I'm pretty sure it was seven stages overall three trips to London um, and just a lot of time and effort and like I think what kind of set me apart was that I only had I was only doing the one application and all, like I spent a lot and a lot of time on it knew the company website back to front um you know and like thankfully my dad helped me a lot out with it um you know like me like running like practicing questions and stuff um yeah so I think there was a lot a lot of applications and there was only seven of us that got in into that placement within consultancy. Um, so yeah, it was just a Google search, and just the nature of my personality was I was like, right, i decided I'm gonna do this, and I think externally I was always saying, I like, go, oh, I hope I get it, or yeah, you know, I'm in the process of applying and stuff. But I think very early on, I was like, this is what I'm gonna do, you know. And in that six months, was half nervous, but also wasn't surprised, just because I had I had done all the research and knew exactly what was coming. Yeah, sure. I
0: think that's really important actually. That when you have something that you want to do or a goal you're working towards, just changing that self talk, the ways, oh, I'm going to try to, mm-hmm. I might, maybe, mm-hmm. if, yeah. just to I am, yeah. I will, when. Mm-hmm. Just that little change in, in vocabulary, mm-hmm. you know, I think that can really reinforce positively mm-hmm. you know, your actions towards
1: towards achieving that. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you did. Mm-hmm. So, what did you learn from that experience, then, In opposed to what you'd already learnt from your entrepreneurial ventures? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think...
2: um, Yeah, hugely, hugely beneficial. Um, Darren Nixon, who I spoke about earlier, told me, you know, self-employment or before (coughs) self-employment. Especially from a full-time standpoint, anyway. Um, So, yeah. Just the fact to see, like, how a company works. Straight Mm -hmm. up, so... Yeah. Did yeah. you
1: apply that sort of knowledge into your own business, would you say?
2: Yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, just a know like a knowledge of how a company works, a knowledge of what they do well, a knowledge of, of what they don't do well. Um and yeah, just how how to treat people in a business environment. Um, you know, I think a lot of it like a lot of the work I was doing was you know, the physical typing and the work I had to do on the computer wasn't um, really, really complex. And it wasn't that, that's probably not where I learned. It was sitting in the meetings, observing other people, listening to what they did, watching what they did. And slowly but surely, when you watch them enough and you sit beside them enough, you can start to do what they do. And then you kind of become, um, yeah, it's just quite natural. You become an employee which doesn't look out of place alongside the people that actually work there. Um so yeah, learned a whole bunch. Um yeah, I remember actually I took loads and loads of notes in the training course but haven't looked at it since. Mm. But I think one of those experiences isn't something that you have a prescribed list of I learned how to do this, like X, Y, and Z. It's just a generally kind of it boosts your confidence in I can deal i c I'm capable of working in this environment, capable of communicating with people. In high positions, who are older than me, ability of delivering work on time to a standard expected by a global consultancy firm. So, yeah, probably if anything, it, it just renewed a bit of confidence in I could hold my own in a business situation. Um, and yeah, you just see people who they know their jobs so well that it's almost effortless. You can ask them any question and they won't become unstuck. Um, and seeing them do that within their obviously subject or you know their of expertise, um, kind of set the bar of where I want to be with my own business, where, you know, that you're not afraid of what's gonna come up, you know, you can you can deal with it. Sure. So is that same year that you did the Deloitte? The same year you went to travel? Yeah. So the way it worked, and um, and it's a fantastic scheme, and I'm like. A lot of people I spoke to about it said the same thing, but said they never heard of it. Probably because it's not very widely advertised, to be honest. But the way the scheme worked is you worked seven months from the September to the April, and then upon leaving, you got fifteen hundred pound travel bursary, um, like in your last pay paycheck. So they, they it was directly, um, you know, appointed that they wanted you to do travel, you know, go travelling, um. And, yeah, so finished in the April, and then I think I went tra- started going traveling in, well, did a week in Spain with my family in the April, and then kind of did the backpacking trip in, in May and June. And so then, how long was that? So that was just five weeks. Um, when I was out there, I met loads and loads of people who had been, you know, two months, six months, a year. Yeah, yeah. So five weeks probably to those people is very long, but on the other hand, I speak to some people and say, well, five weeks, that's a super long time, so... Yeah, it was enough to feel like I'd got away, you know, from the UK and that really kind of stretched myself a bit. Um, so that was in, where was that, the five weeks? So um, started in uh, Vietnam, so most spent most of my time in Vietnam, uh, a bit of time, or about a week in Cambodia, maybe 10 days in Cambodia, and then just like a couple of days in Thailand. So the main country was Vietnam, kind of just did top to bottom, Hanoi, down to Ho Chi Minh City. And just kind of busted the whole way down, um, no real itinerary, Um, fell in with a really good crowd of mates while I was there, and they kind of knew what they were doing, so we just tagged along really, um. But yeah, like obviously had a really really enjoyable experience, but equally you come back from it feeling a little more grown up, a little more confident in a certain extra number of situations, so. Like. So much fun, but very very worthwhile from
1: a personal development expec- perspective as well yeah, for sure so because a lot of people speak as that like the traveling experience the whole thing is like one of the most life changing things mm-hmm. you'll ever experience how, like how true is that, and how did it did it change your perspective on things at all? um it was it,
2: yeah, it was certainly very worthwhile and very enjoyable uh. And you certainly become more aware. I don't think I became enlightened. Um, You know, I'd like to think, obviously, I think some people go travelling and they see kind of people living in a lot less fortunate circumstances than themselves, and then maybe that is what changes the switch. I would like to think my moral compass was fairly sound before I went anyway. Um, But yeah, I think just an appreciation of what's out there and the fact that. I was able to collect all these really, really, you know, amazing memories and experiences from realistically just one country. Obviously, yeah. did a bit of Cambodian Thailand, but say we'll just call it mostly Vietnam. The fact that I that we only spent four weeks there, think of all the new things that we did, and then to scale that up on a level of like there's over, you know, close to I don't know around two hundred countries in the world. It's just, it was just exciting to think like, wow, this is what I got out of one country for four weeks. And now I think that I've got the rest of my life to try and, you know, travel some more. Um, Yeah, just like really exciting. Um, And just lots, you know, lots of new experiences. But I I can't put my finger on like one moment where I became enlightened or anything. I think, I don't know, it might happen. I'm not writing it off. No. But I think some people can exaggerate as well. Overhyped a bit, yeah.
1: So um shall we move on to the final bit? Yeah, I think
0: that's a good link into something we've got here actually.
1: So some just to explain what this section is. Yeah, like yeah. First. So I don't want to jump into quickly. So yeah, so basically the final bit of the se- uh the podcast, we're mm-hmm. going to sort of get questions from real people. Mm-hmm. Some we've uh explicitly like Got from our listeners who mm-hmm. want to ask you a person like a question about their own lives or what they're interested in, mm-hmm. um, and then I've also managed to get some from a Reddit a subreddit community, which is like sort of a self improvement forum, mm-hmm. and they've sort of asked a question out there, and I thought it'd be good to get yours and all of ours opinions on sort of ah you know what we think to okay?
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think the best way to fit as much of this, squeeze as much value out of it in the time we have remaining is to do quick fire on a couple mm-hmm. and then um, go a bit longer where you want and mm-hmm. then just, just pick up on any, on any bits and then Josh and I will probably fire off a couple of final questions towards the end and then um, we'll wrap things up at the end. Yeah. So firstly, it's a question from Stephen, 19 year old Stephen, who says, what differences and similarities did you find between being a corporate trainee, so the as we've spoken about, and being a leader within your own business?
2: Um I think speed is probably the biggest one. Big corporations move very slow um and didn't react to how fast I wanted it to move um whereas my own business can move as it fast as you know pace as it wants and I mean that was kind of a decision making perspective um and how quickly things can change and how responsive you can be um So, yeah, that's the biggest difference. Um, Similarities. You know, the people that I met in that big corporation were all a lot. Most of them, pretty much all of them were really nice, you know, people who outside of work you'd be happy to spend time with socially and that's been a common theme, you know, that I've found in, you know, running my own business with clients and stuff as well. I think generally there's a misconception around business that everyone's really kind of like sharp and serious when actually you go into these companies and people are you know yes work's getting done but we're having a bit of a laugh you're having fun you can socialize outside so I think maybe people from different areas like arts etc look in a business and say oh those guys have no fun what I've seen from both is if you work for a company you can have loads of fun if you work for your own business you can have loads of fun as well and the people you meet along the way are generally speaking really good people
1: and nice people that's a great attitude to have as well. Right, Jen, 25 years old, says, Stuart, I want to know what your biggest failure is, regardless of the subject, and what did you learn from it?
2: Um, so the, the moment in my life where I felt like I've m- most let people down, and probably to people... It might, it might sound a bit silly but I in um, in fifth form I and the friends who were on this team will laugh in fifth form I missed a penalty in a um, oh, no. in, in a North Nardy Cup quarter final so I was sub at the time but um, I was kind of on the fringes of the team came on as a sub in the game scored a half volley from just outside the box to make a 1-0 obviously complete hero best <laughs> the best moment of my life yeah. Um, and then in the last minute, they took a corner, caught the wind, and went directly in from the corner, one each, going to extra time. <coughs> and this year, whatever way it's set up, the the semi-finals were being played at Windsor Park, the National Football Stadium in Northern Ireland. So this was a huge thing, and I'm a huge Northern Ireland fan, so I was desperate to get into it. And then extra time happened, and they... Um, and then they ask us, uh, "Who's taking a penalty?" And because I'm buzzing and confidence after scoring this half volley, me yeah, first, yeah. please. I think maybe maybe it wasn't firsts, or, first or second, um, step up completely, drag it wide, oh, um, you know, like not even close, <laughs> um, and just thought about that every second for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um so that was, yeah, I think just on top of that that kind of shows the significance i place on sport and um, it's just been a huge part of my life the emotional investment the, yeah the emotional investment yeah. that's the thing i think my business failures yes some of them have an emotional hit but the emotional hit from that i think is easier to brush off sometimes um whereas the emotional hit from that sport event at that t- time is pretty big um Obviously, kind of what I spoke about earlier was the end, The finale of that story is two, two, three years later I captain. That was the under-16s team. Two, three years later I captain the first 11 to win that competition eventually. Um, I think in hindsight it's just, um, you know, be patient. Like I think a lot of people expect to be rewarded for their work too early. You know, I expected that I scored this great goal in one match that I expect to be rewarded and given the plaudits for that one goal when actually the plaudits were going to come in abundance three years later. Yeah. So I think it, it was just patience that, you know, the work doesn't go unrecognised. Although you might feel it ha- has done for years, the recognition will come in some form eventually. Um, So yeah, patience is what I learned from that awful penalty. Delayed gratification almost. Yeah, Yeah. delayed gratification, which was better than probably what would have happened if it went in.
1: Perfect. Right, so I think we'll leave it there from questions from people sent in. And we'll just do one final, uh, almost personal anecdote that we'll try and help Mm -hmm. them with. From the Reddit forum, this is, and we'll round it up. So the post that they uh, sent out is titled, 19-year-old, feel mega insecure, please help by a guy called Guiding Lights, one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> on Reddit. So I'll just read it out, yeah? So it says, I'm a 19-year-old male and feel really insecure. It's come to a point where I compare myself to fictional characters in a book and feel down. And then he goes on to talk about, he has a lot of issues with like girls and feels insecure about the idea of his friends getting with girls that he likes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'll paraphrase, because this was a huge mm-hmm. like, essay. Yeah. Um, but then he goes on to say, I'm wor- working towards actually accepting myself I've started to meditate and I'm slowly leaving it all behind but I still feel this burgeoning insecurity in the face of everything. I feel like I'm not the main character in my own story. I can't even enjoy reading a novel, lifting weights, being with friends, watching a movie without feeling insecure and these were all things I used to enjoy doing so much. What can I do? How do I regain my self-confidence?
2: In two words, I would just say break patterns. Um, Clearly, uh, well, I think it... It's obviously hard. I've never met the, the guy, but I think for me, if I'm ever in a situation where you know I'm feeling insecure or a bit down, I think you just have to sit, you know, ask why five times. There's clearly something that underlying is drip feeding into all those areas areas of his life that you know is is then tarnishing them. They make really me can't can't enjoy them. What's his
1: name? Uh, Guild. That's just his username. Guiding lights.
2: Um, Guiding lights. So. I would think, and this has happened uh, just from experience, um, you know, I think it's hard to give advice, but I'll say what's worked for me. Um, I would probably say there's a person that, and I'm just assuming or guessing, but there's a person or persons that he needs to have a conversation with. There's probably something on his chest that needs to get off. Obviously, this is one way he's expressed kind yep. of how he's feeling on le- on, online. I would kind of take that letter and give it to someone or speak to them verbally um, and yeah, I would just embrace two or three difficult conversations in the next week um, to then hopefully get back on track but what I said about break patterns was I would just say try some, try something new um, do something you haven't done recently speak to someone you haven't spoke to recently go somewhere you haven't gone recently and just let the change of environment, hopefully, lead to a change in your in your thoughts. I think sure. a lot of times people think they can think their way out of a problem, when actually you have to kind of action your way out of it. You know, it's not it's not gonna sort itself out sitting in your bedroom.
1: That change of environment is massive. Like you said, like I uh, like when I felt stressed and anxious at university. And the rooms are so small, and if you sit in that room for weeks on end and keep thinking and thinking, Mm -hmm. it just boils up like a big steam pot, Mm -hmm. and literally just walking outside or going back home for a bit or wherever you need to go, but just a change of environment, it literally Mm -hmm. changes your mindset. Yeah,
2: and I would say there's probably a few things in his head that he's had for a while and been really kind of struggling to say. I would just say say it to someone. Yeah. um, Yeah. Just to pick up on that, I mean, the power
0: of conversation is
2: huge and,
0: um, you know, talking about feelings, expressing your feelings is obviously really important. Um, how can you cross that barrier? You know, I think the mode of expression here for guiding rights is just typing, you know, mm-hmm. but how do you, how do you go about having that difficult conversation? Um, that you say like, just, just talk to mm-hmm. someone that,
2: yeah. you, that you feel you might have an issue yeah. with or, or whatever. Um, it's not always that easy yeah the short answer again is just do it once and then realise that it's actually okay baby steps yeah the, f- the idea of that difficult conversation is a lot worse than it actually is and the reason I feel like I can do it comfortably now is because uh, it's practice yeah Yeah. but I think dude, the first one is gonna you know scare the living daylights out of him but him or her um though um sorry no him a yeah. 19 year old male um yeah, I think once you do it first and take a deep breath and walk out of that room and realize how much better you feel, um, it'll then become easier. That feeling after you've done it as well. It's yeah. So not as bad as you thought. Exactly. So the the advice I can give there of how to overcome the fear of having those conversations is just to do it once and realize that it makes things better. Before you have that first conversation, it's actually it will be hard for anything for me to say to actually make sense because you know that experience won't be there. But yeah. Once that diff- first difficult conversation happens, the others will be easier. Then you're off. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, thank you so much. Hopefully we've helped a few people out with their questions. One last final thing yeah. before you go. Do you want to explain, around? Yeah. That? So one thing we're going to try and do is at
0: the end of every episode, we're going to get our, get our guests to leave a question. You know, So if there's anything you have on your mind, anything you want the answer to, anything you're struggling personally with at the moment yourself... Um, And then we'll ask that to the next guest at the start of of the next show. So any any question you might have, and obviously neither you nor we don't know who who it's going to be, so that should be an interesting little follow-through to connect
2: different guests, different episodes together. Um, Yeah, first thing that's came into my head is what's holding you back? Nice. How long, and just on top of that,
1: how long have you been aware of it, and what are you going to do to fix it? One that's three. Perfect. <laughs> right, so it's, it's all the same, and it merged it yeah. into three little questions. That's great. Fantastic. Happy? Yeah, yeah, happy with that. Just about perfectly on the hour mark as well. <laughs> it. Excellent. Great time. What a day! Thanks a lot for coming along today. To Hope you enjoyed it. It did. Thanks for having me. me.
0: And um, we'll see you next episode. Well, that's it for another episode of the 2% podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording.
1: If you or someone you know has a story to tell, we'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch.
0: Also, we're developing too, so if you liked the episode, give us some love on social to
1: support the series. And if you didn't, let us know how to improve. Stay motivated, follow your dreams, and as always, do it with a smile.